0: So I want to catch this for the purposes of um, training myself and uh, ultimately one day for the discipleship training program, but I've I've had this incident occur this morning which just is so uh, devastatingly disgusting um, that it needs to have attention drawn to it. So I wake up this morning to a series of texts from a, a gentleman I've been discipling via phone and email and texting and he had a claims he had a major breakthrough yesterday over something I said and I just woke and read his messages and they were so encouraging and so honoring and I just thought man this is edifying what God is calling me to do in this discipleship training program and it just felt so wonderful I mean it was just it was just awesome well shortly after that I get a phone call from a client um expressing her concerns about the direction I'm heading creatively on her story video. And that sparks a a 10 or 15 minute conversation with her. Um, And then with Jill, I have not had a chance to do more than reading of a page um, this morning out of the book, uh, The Kingdom of the Occult, where I'm reading about evangelism. So I've only had a chance to fill myself spiritually for about maybe uh, a couple of minutes before these distractions started coming in. Then I'm on the phone with Jill, and I had a great conversation with Jill, and she was very edifying and very supportive of what I said of what she said to me, about the, the story video uh, client issue. And then we get to the part where she asked me what I'm going to do today, and she's offering to come over today, which I thought was great, but I didn't think it made sense because she only has a couple hours, and that it makes more sense for me to come over tomorrow. And then she breaks the news to me that there's three ball games tomorrow. And, you know, I already have such a an aggressive stand against putting sports, um, Facebook, any of these things in such an obsessive level above God and, and making them be the things that our lives revolve around. I mean, I just, I absolutely have a huge indignation towards that. So already have that thing going and I can see how the enemy leverages that to where Just in a few minutes of getting on the phone, um, Jill's talking about cleaning her house and all that. I said, look, don't do any house cleaning. Get your schoolwork done today so that when I come over tonight, we've got one-on-one time tomorrow. I said, you know, it's going to be bad enough that there's three basketball games tomorrow. And I hung up the phone with her realizing, holy moly, look at what just occurred. And now I've just got off my knees, hadn't put my face to the ground before the Lord, and just humiliation and repentance because I'm so unbelievably selfish. That part of me that is so... so—I mean, I don't think that part's ever going to die. And so immediately I'm walking down the hallway, and the Lord is like, you need to walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Your flesh is running rampant this morning. Well, I haven't fed my flesh, and I've had nothing but coffee, no breakfast, so... I'm already a little amped, Um, but I just felt like, oh my goodness, look how quick somebody like me, even as much as I spend, I don't know hardly anybody unless they're a pastor that spends more time in the Word than I do. The average person cannot spend as much time in the Word thinking about God as I do because I have so much extra time available on my schedule in this season of my life. And so if even me doing all of this and loving God as much as I can – Can that quickly walk back in the flesh and be completely self-seeking in my love, be very selfish and focused on me and getting my needs met? How much more can other people do that? So I walk away from this this morning frustrated. I fully feel the frustration of, great, I'm not going to get to have any good quality time with Jill tomorrow. We're going to be sitting at a basketball game where we can barely touch or acknowledge each other. Her parents are going to be sitting right there hovering over us. And it's going to be all about watching to run up and down a whoopee-doo-dah. And think about how selfish that is. I mean, I enjoy when I go, but in the moment right now, I haven't seen my girlfriend in a week. Um, you know, really would like to see her. And I'm just absolutely disgusted with that whole idea. I'm absolutely disgusted with how evil um, my flesh can be. I mean, that is just point blank flat-out, sin-nature, selfish, ish evil self. Period. End of story. There is no sugar it whatsoever. So, the answer to this is A, to recognize it. That I am now walking outside of what the Bible would expect of me. So I'm already in violation of a scripture because I love Jill. I tell her I love her, and yet, what am I doing? I'm walking in self-seeking love. I'm interested in my needs being met, and right now, The busy basketball schedule, all I can think of is is coming in the way of me being able to spend quality time with my girlfriend who is a full-time student, full-time mom to four kids. And all I can think of is, well, how do I get myself fit, fit into that schedule? And when I don't, I immediately begin to feel sorry for myself, so forth and so on. So, selfish, selfish, selfish. The great news is I'm talking about it. I caught it and I recognize it. The, the key now is to pray first of all, ask the Father for forgiveness, which is what I've done. Um, and then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to to lay some scriptures in front of him. I'm going to fight this with the sword of the spirit i'm going I'm going to speak to the enemy um, and say to him that he's a liar and he needs to stay away from me and quit feeding me selfish thoughts if he's doing that in the name of Jesus Christ. and then I'm also going to feed myself using the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God, word of the Lord, in particular the definition of love that says love is not self-seeking. And now I'm going to nourish my soul in God's word to fill this neediness that I'm feeling right now. Because man, when I run to the Lord and I just dive into his word in prayer, I don't have this neediness. Like I have it sitting here right now. Even though I'm talking about it, I can still just as quickly I'm straddling it. I got one foot on the You're an idiot. You shouldn't do this. That's not biblical. And the other foot in, yeah, but you need to have your needs met. And you're going to have to sit and watch six hours of basketball games. Um, And you're not going to be able to get any one-on-one with your girlfriend. So I could easily switch to whatever side I need, whatever side I I want to right now. Um, But uh, I'm going to choose not to. I'm going to stand against it. And I'm going to bake my, I'm going to renew my mind in Scripture and listen to the Spirit And quiet the flesh, because right now the flesh is screaming. And this is the way I'm handling this issue. I'm not handling this issue looking at some woundedness or reading some book on selfishness or any of that garbage. It's simply a sin issue, period, end of story. I do not need counseling for this. I don't need to read a book. I don't need some workshop. I don't need to even counsel with somebody. The answer is simple. Because I fear the Lord, the Holy Spirit has convicted me of my sin this morning. He is the reason why I'm having this conversation. The answer is then to renew my mind, repenting first, and then renew my mind with the scripture. And That's what I'm going to do. And I look forward to doing an update later. I want to add to this selfishness journal that I just made that I can feel the the enemy wanting me to act out of this. This again is something that I keep noticing over and over that the the negative thoughts of the flesh and the negative attacks of the enemy messing with your mind. The goal is to get you to act on it. So for example, I get this text from Jill saying it's okay. The truth is you don't have to go to every single game Um, just because I'm going to be there. I'll have you there for whatever you want to be there. And as I read that text, the fleshly part of me that's not getting my need met, that wants to revolt against that and, and text back something to the effect of, oh, you're absolutely right. Um, maybe I won't come to all the games. Maybe I'll just go to like the last one or whatever. Almost as a way of trying to manipulate Jill into feeling bad. If I'm being completely honest, in that moment, that would be about me pouting. It would be about me trying to manipulate her into doing what my selfish butt wants her to do. That is hard for me to hear, but I just know this is a problem that millions of people face. And in, until somebody is willing to call a spade a spade, you can't do anything different about it. And I know that this is you know, my problem. I want to act out of it. I want to say, sure, that's right, yeah, no, I think I'll find something else to do. Because that way I can almost kind of send the message, yeah, I don't like the idea of, and I don't find quality time. I I would almost like to write back, yeah, because that's just not quality time to me. I need time one-on-one looking in your eyes, holding, kissing, walking down a trail, spending time, you know, whatever. Um, Sitting on the back porch, um, you know, going to a basketball game and just sitting there, barely even acknowledging each other while you're yelling at your kids The whole time is just not my idea of fun after having seen you for a whole week. That's just the truth. That's what I feel in my flesh. The truth is, the truth with a capital T is, that is selfishness. So again, back to this whole thing of I find it so interesting that this is how the enemy wins. He gets us to act on our selfishness. Or he gets us to act out of these negative thoughts. And what I have to be careful to do is to not act. And I also need to make sure that I do not not act so much that not acting becomes an action. Meaning you can begin to ignore or stonewall a person like I haven't replied to her text message right now. Mainly because I need to think about how I'm going to reply and get myself straight here. But um, by not replying, that's also taking an action. That's also manipulating. And this is just me having to be brutally honest. If I'm brutally honest, that's exactly what this is. So now it takes courage. It takes running to God's truth, and then it's going to take courage to do the hard thing, which is to swallow my own need to have my needs met, or just, you know, just give up, surrender my rights to have my needs met. And right now I don't feel like I can do that. So I need to read the word. I need to transform my mind for whatever reason I'm struggling this morning so that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to run to the word on this as I've been um, journaling, praying and seeking scripture this morning on this selfishness thing I've been brought back to a place where I've been before in this struggle and that is this idea of the answer is to give yourself up I'm sitting here meditating on how I feel when I feel selfish and my needs aren't being met. And the idea of battling that in the flesh and the, you know, doing all these things you can um, to get rid of that feeling versus surrendering my right to have my needs met. That sounds so frightening to everything that I have fought my whole life for. And I'm sure that sounds almost impossible to anybody that would hear this. I mean, I can clearly even hear Jill having tried to talk me out of this because she said, you know, you are human. You are going to have needs that need to be met. And and specifically, she's speaking in a relationship. But what if – I still am so challenged by this idea. What if I could give up my rights to have my needs met? What if the Lord is still arranging my circumstances, and three basketball games on a Saturday so that I will learn this lesson? What if part of the reason Jill has this unavailable schedule and has these moments where she can't, quote, reply or meet my needs, what if if God is using every bit of that to finally get me to this point right here where I say, Enough is enough. Why can't I completely surrender my right to have my needs met? What if I could do that? What if I could do that? And then my first thoughts were, okay, the only way I could do that is with God's help. Jesus Christ himself said that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. Now here is the creator of the universe coming down and taking on the form of a bond servant and literally gave himself up. We don't even come close to that. He says, here, I set an example before you. We don't even come close to that. I'm broken hearted. I almost want to cry just thinking about it because it's like, we don't do that. And yet even the thought of me talking about this, I know anybody that hears this message will say, well, that's just not possible, Mike. You can't do that because I think that's exactly what the devil has been wanting me to believe, that it is impossible to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And I do not yet know why he would have laid down this example for us if it were impossible. Easy? No, not easy. Impossible? Absolutely not. I believe… Right now, I believe the Spirit of God is coming upon me and that I believe this is the answer for me. It is about learning to give myself up and to quit thinking about how I can have my perfect little needs met. There are 150 good subjects and 150 good topics that you could work on in a marriage to make it better and spend years working on them. Or back to this thing that the Holy Spirit keeps teaching me about, you are overcomplicating it, make it simple. There is one thing that you could focus on that would, by its very nature, take care of all 150 issues. Giving myself up. Why in the world would the Bible say, give up yourself for your wife as love yourself, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her he was willing and actually did die for her okay how can a person say you're not meeting my needs right you're not sending me enough this you're not sending me enough that you're not spending enough time with me you're not touching me enough you're not saying enough sweet things how can a person say that on one hand and then turn around and say but oh i'm willing to die for you I mean, is that not the most contradictory thing I have ever heard in my entire life? Serving somebody, surrendering these small little things these little perfect needs being met, has to subordinate itself to your willingness to die for somebody. You cannot out of one side of your mouth say you are willing to die for someone and then out of the other side of your mouth with complete rotten selfishness, which is what I have, turn around and say, I'm willing to die for you. I mean, that is the most ridiculous, that is lying to yourself. I've been lying to myself. You know, here on one hand, I want to save the world and make disciples of Christ, teach people to turn the other cheek. Granted, these have all been lessons, being obedient lessons, and now here I am right back humbled again on this idea of just how completely selfish I am. I'm not saying let people walk all over me, but I'm talking about even in just my basic relationship, the idea of three basketball games wiping me out because I'm not going to have my affection needs met that is so please god may it be your mercy upon me and may it be that it's by your grace that i'm able to say just how ridiculous this is this is one of those teaching points where i'm realizing we have gotten so far out of touch with new testament christianity we have gotten so far to a place where we do not believe it's even possible to live like this we don't okay so coming full circle I have now been challenged by the Holy Spirit multiple times over the last year to come to this place of what would it look like to give myself up? Well, the first thing I know I have to do is is I have to be aware that that God is trying to teach me this. Number one, okay, this is a very difficult, hard truth. Number two, I cannot allow anybody to talk me out of what scripture purely lays out. Christ said he did not come to be served, but to serve. Do not think of yourself alone, but think of the needs of others. Think of yourself, think of others as better than yourselves. I mean, there are countless scriptures that I just came up with this morning that talk about not being selfish. So now the thing I need to do is, in prayer, I just told the Lord, Father, the only way I could do this is if I knew that you are proud of me. The one motivating factor I have that would overcome my need to have my needs met would be to know that the Lord is proud of me for making that sacrifice, that he's called me to do it, and that I could do it by his strength. Um, And then I have got to have some scriptures, and then I have got to start practicing this. See, this is the key. This is discipleship. This is training yourself to be godly. This is not me hearing some scripture and thinking, wow, that sounds so interesting. That would make for a great devotion. No, now I must train myself. I have awareness that there's a problem, but if I just stay with the awareness and read a good book and walk away, it's the equivalent of Christ saying it's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror, turns around and walks away and forgets what he looks like. That's exactly what I'm getting ready to do. Do not be merely hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Be doers. And so in order for me to do Thank you Jesus. This is finally getting down to what this discipleship program needs about. I have got to train myself. An example of what that would look like is <clears throat> I must go to all three basketball games tomorrow as a willing participant and I must go with the attitude that I am there not to have my needs met but that I am there to serve Jill's needs and to be there in support of her children not because I want to be with her and I need my affection needs met and I think that there is a reward on the other side of that for me I believe that it will make the Lord smile. I believe he will say yes and amen. And I believe he will look upon me and say, now you are beginning to get this, son. And now you're getting closer for me to be able to really use you. So I have got to begin to put into practice and think about how can I sacrifice myself on a daily basis? Not so that I'm miserable. The idea is, again, not self-sacrifice at the cost of being miserable. It is putting others ahead because that in in turn puts God ahead. If I do it with a pure motive and if I do it out of a motivation to bring God glory, what greater purpose could there be than for me to lay my life down and have people see Jesus Christ in my actions, not in my words. I have got To practice this, train myself to not be selfish. It's 10.30 in the morning on a Friday, uh, May the 11th. I've been sitting completely still, just kind of looking at the sky for at least 15 or 20 minutes. Just looking around, I'm sitting in my uh, parents' backyard. And um, I brought my Bible and some water out here. And upon walking outside after studying the Word this morning, I did a quick check of email and there was a uh, an email from linkedin with this week's updates and i just casually scrolled through them almost with uh, a sense of you know oh boy you know what's what what are the latest headlines now kind of thing a sense of kind of just disgust and there was this um message in there about this company called clout and it's this idea that Your social media status is now being measured and determined how much of an influence you are, um, how much of use you could be to other companies that want to leverage your influence for promoting their products. And by the time I got done reading just the first two or three paragraphs, I just got sick in my stomach and my arm dropped with my phone and I'm just like, how ridiculous. And I've been sitting here just feeling such a burden. I mean, and I've actually been praying and asking the Lord to help me with this burden because... I feel like the world, in particular, Christianity, is, is in complete crisis. I mean, the way I see it, we are in complete crisis, and the devil is absolutely winning. Period, end of story. If you look at it just from a sheer numbers standpoint, he's absolutely winning. And he's not just winning among the lost, he's winning in the church. The striking statistic that I read in a book the other day was a pastor who was authentic and transparent enough to admit that he assessed that of his congregation that less than 10% of them sitting in there on a weekly basis are prepared to meet the Lord Jesus Christ upon His return. Less than 10% of the people sitting in His church. And I have to tell you, I have felt that I have known a similar um, statistic. I wouldn't have put a number to it, but I certainly would have known for years... That the majority of the people sitting in church are going through the motions. They are, they, are, they are all about religion. They have no relationship. And they would be more likely to be among the goats than they would the sheep when Jesus comes to divide. And I am shocked. I am angered. I have indignation. I am upset about this. I am burdened by this. I think that it's a crisis that God must be calling me. I feel angry about it. The longer I've been away from Egypt, the marketplace, and the world system, the more sensitive I'm becoming to its ways. And it's becoming almost alarming to me to, to go back into the marketplace and still see, even among Christians, there is no trust in God. I mean, it's pathetic to say that as Christians they need to learn to trust God it's just like me I was in that exact place I was a Christian but I just didn't trust God I liked the idea of Christianity I liked the idea of Jesus Christ as an insurance policy but I hated the idea of Him being Lord over my life period end of story because to me that meant I had to give up things that were pleasurable to me things that I wanted things that I deserved things I could work for never realizing that I've been missing out on the greatest treasure the greatest joy and the greatest things of my life A relationship intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ and I see this stubbornness I see the deceit that the devil has done on people and that they are so deceived into believing that this is what life is about and that it's okay to be these half-baked watered-down Christians um, who talk about God but do not obey God who think he's an interesting subject but who do not trust him and I am desperate to find the people like Edwin Salazar who know because they've experienced brokenness that they're headed in the wrong direction and that they need more of Jesus Christ in their life and they need to be more obedient to the scriptures. And I am—I um, just knew that I could not walk away from this table until I recorded this today because it is a burden that is rising up in me that I cannot get away from. It's robbing me of my ability to focus on almost anything else in this very moment. I am desperate to turn this back. To return people to Jesus Christ. To, to pull the spiritual blinders off of people. And I just don't know how to do it. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. But I know that somehow, some way, God will make this available to me. That I'm still in this training ground myself being trained. But that one day He will release me, God willing, to be able to help people because i i I see people basically walking themselves straight to hell with a smile on their face and with a backpack that says you know it's got a christian logo on the back and they think they're headed to heaven and they're headed straight to hell they're going to be in such a deep mess they don't even realize and at the very least they're going to be the ones that the bible says they they get to heaven but only as one escaping the flames oh man it's just a horrible thought horrible thought Some days I wish I would have almost remained deceived and just stayed right where I was at because this burden is so intense. And yet, the burden exists because of my love for God and the desire to get people out of this. It's horrible. Getting ready to go for a run. Um, Today is the 15th of May, and it occurs to me I'm not feeling very well. I haven't been feeling super well the last two days because of sinuses feeling pressure a lot in my face and all that stuff i've got it under control now but i refuse to just let this just cause me to sit around and so i'm going to go for a trail run um this morning i spent some a lot of time in the word and it is evident to me again that there is um a closeness um that is gone there is a uh a deadening of the joy in my heart as a result of a couple of days ago um again being disobedient falling into sin with Jill um still in this battle now 4 months of premarital sex trying as much as we can to stay away from it and then yet always putting ourselves in a situation where we end up yielding to it more than we want to and then I have noticed, without a doubt, every single time, that there are consequences. And today, I can feel there is a um, there is a uh, a less sense of urgency. There's a deadening of the spirit. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this, but. I have so much passion to do uh, this discipleship training program um, to turn people back to the hearts of God and to see people return to loving Him and being obedient to Him. And yet here I am, stumbling with this one area of disobedience as it relates to premarital sex. And it's been a real struggle, um, and I'm noticing that pulls away that sense of spiritual urgency. It deadens my spiritual urgency. It makes me more normal. It seems to be almost like kryptonite to Superman. This, me participating in this sin deadens a lot of this drive I have for righteousness and to make a big deal out of God. It it absolutely does. It deadens my, um, it sucks the wind out of my spiritual sails. It um, Removes the the zeal that I have for the Lord and uh, for doing His work and I can also notice just an overall sense of um, like He's gone like all of the relationship between the Lord and I in these moments is it's very dependent upon me meaning I'm trying to find Him I'm trying to press in I'm trying to read I'm struggling I'm wrestling and it's all dependent upon me. Whereas when I'm walking in obedience, I'm following the Lord's commands and I'm not walking in sin or yielding to temptation. He is the one that's pursuing me. I see the numbers. I feel the spirit of joy. Um, he delights me, um, these kind of things. Whereas when I get into these episodes of disobedience, it's like, that that goes away. I mean, I can feel it. I do not know how to articulate it, but if there is a sense of deadening, like the spirit is removing himself from me, uh, in those moments. And it's, uh, it's a, it's terrible feeling. I've now had this happen about five or six times where I've fallen into this temptation. And it's been at least five or six times now where I have experienced this deadening of the spirit. And it's just a horrible feeling. Um, I don't feel condemned, I don't feel uh, shameful, I don't feel crazy bad or guilty, I mean I do in the beginning until I repent, but even after I repent, I've noticed there's been a couple of times now where there's not an instant restoration of the presence of the Spirit. It's almost like God is allowing me to experience more fully the consequences of what my disobedience is, and, and I do not like it. And so I'm now taking a different step. I'm now um, taking a different path and and I'm going to put more things in place. I'm going to change my approach so that I can walk more in obedience and put the the Lord and and Jill and myself and our kids before my own needs. Today is starting out as a very frustrating day and I wanted to capture this um, because in the moment I'm learning some things. So last night I encountered a very difficult technical challenge in editing a customer's video. They overpaid me a thousand dollars as a tip because the job was so done well. And then unfortunately I was not able to render a final product, um, without some technical glitches. And I spent five hours trying to figure it out, pulling my hair out. Finally had to give up, although I didn't want to give up at 11 o'clock because I knew I had to get up early this morning to go help Jill and watch the kids while she did a run with So I'm driving there this morning and I don't feel any joy in my heart. I'm not excited about going to see Jill and the kids. All I can think about is this project I'm leaving behind. That's creating frustration, almost kind of a resentment towards the fact that I have to go there this morning. I get there, Jill kind of just, you know, barely pays attention to me very much and, you know, not overly excited to see me. And so that just only plays into, I already don't want to be there. Now I don't feel like I'm wanting to be there So it was all I could do to just kind of, I just kind of, you know, wasn't very happy. I didn't hardly touch her at all. Didn't feel like being around anybody there. I just kind of did my thing and all I I just was like, all right, this is a difficult morning. I prayed the whole way over. Uh, Not the whole way over, but a good, good bit of the way. Get through that. Have to leave. Go to Starbucks to finish working on this project. And while it's rendering, I start to journal about how selfish I am and that the problem I'm facing is that no one can serve two masters. That right now I'm trying to serve myself first and then I'm having to serve Jill and, and the kids. And, you know, last night while I was tired, I'm sitting around and I'm having these thoughts and I have this thought that says, do you realize if you marry Jill, you're pretty much signing up that every weekend for the next 10 years you're going to be at a ball game? Where are you going to have time for yourself? And I know that that's not a very logical thing to think about. That's not a rational thing, and that there's some there's a lie to that. But I was tired enough and frustrated enough that I believed it, and it had some weight. So that's kind of how it got me started with thinking. You know, I'm feeling sorry for myself here. I got this work agenda I can't get done, and now I'm going to do ball games. I also think are going to do. Jill's running thing. I also wonder if the running thing caught up, caught me by surprise because it's almost like flashbacks to when I would do this with where I would go sit and watch all the kids while ran and then I would pay hell when I asked if I could do something. And so there was a resentment and I would go sometimes under obligation not as a cheerful giver because of that. So I'm wondering if there's something there. So anyhow, I've been journaling about this this morning and I realized the Lord is allowing these things to happen because I need to be crushed of my selfishness. I mean, Jesus Christ says the man the that the son of man did not come to be served but to serve. And here I am constantly focused on myself, constantly worried about my problems, my agenda, my stuff. Uh, there's a scripture that says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Something to that effect. And I just want to remind myself of that scripture, but right now I'm sitting on the, the front porch, and I've had a somber day today. I'm kind of a little heavy. Um, some of it is because I'm, I'm not, my back is not feeling well, and, but the majority of it is is because I am wrestling with another issue. And this is what happens as the Lord has revealed issues in my life, you know, pride, forgiveness, um, the desire and lust for success, um, turning the other cheek. As as the Lord has, as humility, as the Lord has brought up these issues, there is a period where I grieve the fact that, A, I'm having the issue, um, and then there's this period of struggle, where I'm battling, wanting to lay it down, and it's kind of this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so, right now, I'm struggling tremendously in the last week and a half in this area of selfishness. I, um, it started with the day where I needed to get my client video fixed, and I ended up over it having to leave that work behind and go to Jill's house and, and uh, help, you know, watch the kids. And then, you know, long story short, there's just always this theme kind of running in the back of my head. Some days it doesn't rear its ugly head and I kind of manage it. And other days it just comes on full force where there is a there is a thread, there's a vein below the surface, a nerve that is deadly afraid of me not having my needs met that is very selfish that is um, fighting to not give myself up and that is really just completely afraid of surrendering my rights to have my needs met in particular in this relationship with jill and so what has happened of of recent is her um, older son who i really have you know starting to really adore really enjoy being around him has broken um, something in his knee, you know, like a, a tendon or what have you, and it's thrown her, unfortunately, into a crisis. And then just kind of watching that, just kind of standing back and watching all the things that she's having to give her time and energy to on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, you know, I can't help but to be gripped and go, man, can I, can I do this? The, the, the part of me that really needs my needs met or that is looking for my needs to be met is scared to death. And says, you know, this woman is always going to be so busy doing ball games, fixing injuries, watching kids, shuttling them back and forth to programs, games, taking them to this, taking them to that, that there's just never going to be any time for me. I'm going to be the child that gets kind of left behind, if you will, is what it kind of feels like. And... Speaking that out, I, I completely understand how selfish that is. I'm completely aware of how dishonorable that is and how unlike Jesus Christ that is. And so I'm fighting in my spirit to acknowledge this and to get rid of it. And I've been doing this for the last couple of days. Um, but the fear in my flesh is so strong that this is not an easy battle. It is not an easy battle. I, I can hear in my spirit the willingness to say, I want to give up myself. I want to give up my right to have my, or quote, my my thought right to have my needs being met. I want to give up my needs and instead focus on totally serving her and those children as well as mine. And really kind of, I, I, my spirit wants me to lay myself down. Wants me to surrender myself. And give up my right to have my weekends work out the way I want them to work out, my my romantic time with her um, to work out, and my lovey-dovey needs and affection and all that, to, to give up all of that and settle for whatever she has to give, if anything, where I'm just dedicating myself to service her. Now that sounds very honorable, very noble, and very Christ-like, and it is something that I definitely in my spirit am excited about, but my flesh absolutely Hates that idea, and this is something that is incredibly difficult for me to press through. I feel that there is a battle going on right now in my soul over this truth. I think that it's been there for a long time. This idea of giving up myself, and the first person that would come along would say, Well, that's just unrealistic. You can't do that. I mean, even Jill has said this to me. You can't do that. I mean, you're a human, you have needs. What about that scripture? My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches. Can I not trust God to meet my needs? Um, And and would it not be exactly like what we see in the Bible? Would it not be exactly like Jesus Christ to ask us to give ourselves up in service to another person in particular your your spouse where the Bible says to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her I mean you don't have to argue with that that's black and white so why is it then that I have such an equally good argument on the other side of <clears throat> that's just not realistic Michael you are going to have needs you, you are going to need in fact the Bible says don't go along without doing it because it knows that you have needs and if those needs aren't being met that Satan's going to tempt you in that area so um, I'm just using it as an example. And um, I can feel so much anxiety. I mean, I feel a conflict, big time conflict in this in my spirit. Because I want so bad in my spirit to give myself up for her. But my flesh says, no way. You're an idiot. And you need to manage this. Because. You are getting ready to get involved, you know, long-term permanent potentially with a woman who's got a lot of other things going on besides you. You're going to be just something added to the stack. And you're going to get lost in that stack. And my spirit says that should be okay. Because 20 years from now, she might roll over in bed and say, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you having given the last 20 years of your life away to me and to serve me. And you are one of the best examples of the Lord Jesus Christ that I've ever seen. And I want to serve you from this point forward and help you and whatever. I mean, there's very well that God could, you know, and and that maybe that day doesn't happen, but the fact that she would say that I was the best example would be reward enough. Um, And yet I feel like I do not have the strength to do this. And so I know that the strength has to come from the Lord. It has to come from the Lord. I do not have the strength to do this on my own so this is a battle I'm having and I'm going to continue to fight this battle I feel like I know what the truth is and yet this is one of the scariest things I've ever had to do this is not nearly as easy as you know the idea of going to court without defending myself that was pretty easy there is something in me that is so afraid of not having my needs met that I find myself distancing myself from Jill when she gets so busy And she gets so preoccupied, I start to withdraw like I'm protecting myself. Because essentially I am. It's horrible. I absolutely despise this part of me. I despise this part of me. And I have asked that the Lord teach me about this. And to help me find His truth. And to have the courage to walk in it. In this very thing. Man, this is difficult. This may be the most difficult battle I've ever had to face. I'm struggling big time right now in my relationship with Jill, and I want to capture this because I think there's some pretty big implications to what I'm feeling, and I want to make sure I learn as much about this from the Lord as possible. But I'm I'm at a moment where I'm really, really doubting if the relationship can continue and if and I'm really wondering is it possible is it is it highly likely that what appears to be now a, a relationship that is requiring a lot of effort a lot of adjustments and there's a lot of disappointments if that is a result of just really discovering that we are two people that are very different that there's not anything wrong necessarily with either one of us, but that that we finally have gotten to this place where we realize, or where it's apparent that we have very different needs in certain areas. Um, I, over the last couple of days, we have really been struggling with this subject matter of are we equally fervent in our love and desire for the Lord. Like in other words, since that is going to play into what our life looks like, what we do with our time, how we teach our children, so forth and so on, are we equally yoked in that way? And I have made the argument that Jill is more likely at a stage in her walk where because of her busy schedule, because of just the craziness of her life that she has slipped away from, slowly slipped away from making God her top priority, and instead now finds the majority of her emotional, mental, and physical needs through exercise, you know, through running, um, primarily that's her big thing, um, through reading about running, um, and just, you know, doing fun things with the kids and stuff like that. Whereas I have been very concerned because it doesn't seem that there's a lot of initiation on her part to talk about God or Jesus, and we've talked about all of this, and unfortunately my approach was less than kind it came off as very brash and judgmental and so we worked our way through that and the Lord rebuked me in my approach and I apologized to Jill and she was kind enough to revisit this with me and and she's even agreed to begin to try to understand about the Holy Spirit because here I'm constantly making reference to what the Spirit's teaching me and telling me and walking with me on and she's not really understanding so much about this holy Spirit and spirit filled life because she comes from a, a religious background that you just didn 't talk about that, and so she 's one of those people that has been made to believe that the Holy Spirit is kind of maybe something more weird and and uh, when people talk about it it 's kind of weird and not fully I mean I, I know she 's not completely i mean uh, completely you know uh, feeling that way, but when i 'm talking about what the Spirit of God is teaching me, those words would never come out of jill 's mouth i don 't think. There's a misunderstanding about the the, the person of the, the Holy Spirit. And if you are misunderstanding, in my opinion, who He is and what His works are, then you can't possibly imagine that He's filling your life. And I have been trying to get her to understand more and seek more in that. In the process, that's created some weirdness. You know, like, are we going to be able to make it or not? Are we truly... Is this Are these differences that we can settle on? Um... And work through and be in agreement with, or are they too much? And I think that even just sitting over the last couple of days trying to work through this, it's created some emotional distance and uncertainty on both of our parts. And I showed up this morning at the gym, and I was struck by how, how ev- what I felt to be how evident the distance was, and it was heartbreaking. And it felt like the relationship had, had changed. It felt like I was with just somebody who I know because I've every once in a while seen her at the gym. When I approached Jill, first of all, there was no big smile and greeting. And I know, understand that she's not feeling well. But I felt like in this situation with the sensitivity of our relationship and her knowing how important honoring is and this kind of need to feel each other out that there would have been a little something more and then when I went to give her a kiss, she turned to me her cheek. And there was just something about that that, was, that spoke volumes to me about where she was at. And the rest of the workout was just very uncomfortable for me. It, it, it just was very uncomfortable because you don't know where you're at. You don't know what the other person's thinking. Where are we going from here? Is this love? Is this not love? Are we just being friends? Or, I mean, what is this? And it was very, very uncomfortable and painful to the point where... I ended up just saying, "Okay, I just need to go, and she said, "Well, give me a hug, and I kissed her back on the cheek, gave her a hug, and said, "All right, I'll talk to you later, and just walked away, and we've never done that, and it just felt like there was I had no other energy to do anything else in that moment but to do that. And I am very upset about it, and I've become thinking about it and wondering, okay, is this just are we just done?" You know, there is a sense of relief that will come with knowing that the work is over and we don't have to keep trying and fooling ourselves because I am exhausted right now. And I know Jill has got to be exhausted because she's already had to, to put up with this for a long time. And so I'm really just wondering, you know, as I've been reflecting back on the status of the relationship and how I have felt up and down in the relationship... It feels to me like Jill is much more stable and much less needy. She's much further along with than me in th- these certain areas and I don't even know if it's that she's further along with me or if that is, it is that she's just independent of having a lot of these needs that I have. I mean I really am a person who I think needs somebody who is even more affectionate as a love language and jill is a person whose father i've never seen touch her i've never seen kiss her i've never heard him tell her she loves him and i've never heard her tell him that he loves her she loves him and so uh, she is perfectly okay with probably going hours without us not touching whereas i seem to not be okay with that I seem to be sitting at a ball game going. Why are we not showing each other affection right now? Why is she not touching me? I mean, does she does if you adore me, aren't you supposed to be telling me that by affection? And I I see a person in church, a woman rubbing on her husband, and I think that is what I desperately desire. I desperately desire a woman who wants to be touching me and wants to be loving me on me. A lot more and I know that Jill and there are times when I'm okay with it being like that but it just seems like there's this pattern over the long haul of me constantly feeling like I'm doubting her love because of her level of affection like she can turn it on and turn it off or and it just leaves me feeling so uncomfortable and I've thought okay this is my fault I need to be and I've called it being needy and I have thought okay well maybe I can just teach myself to not need that Maybe I can just shut it all off and, you know, just not be like that anymore. And I've tried so many times and I get geared up and I say, oh Lord, I'm going to die to my needs and I'm going to give myself and surrender to serve. And I don't know if it's that I'm already so out of gas in this relationship from that standpoint that I just can't do it or if I'm just being a fool thinking to myself that I can do that and, uh, you know... Realizing that that's not going to happen. That I do need these certain things or I'm, I'm likely going to be very miserable and in turn I'm going to make Jill miserable. And again, I don't think it means there's anything wrong with me necessarily and there's not anything wrong with Jill from the standpoint that she just doesn't have a lot of these needs. I mean, I don't know that I know anything what Jill's needs are except for me to be in her presence at her house, quality time and And, um, so I don't know. I'm just, I've been so sad and right now I'm tired and I don't feel so well, but I'm just, I'm very disappointed. I'm very disappointed. It very much occurs to me that Jill may very well have been turning her cheek to me because she's been sick and she didn't want to kiss me on the lips. And I, I took it very much different than that. Oh my goodness. This thought just occurs to me. I mean, as just a perfect example where she wouldn't think anything different. And I'm I'm left thinking, wow, what did she just say to me by that, you know? And uh, gosh, that just feels so crazy for me to just be realizing that right now in this moment. But even still, there's a perfect example of, I feel like I've communicated this to her over and over again... And I feel like she's been very receptive to say, well, I can do better. I can do that. And then I feel like I constantly am feeling left needy. And I hate it that when we're sitting at a graduation, that when she finally does reach through my arm and and put her hand on my leg, I hate it that it feels so good. I hate it that I'm like, oh, I needed that. I don't know that that is just, you know, such a good thing for me. That I'm like that. I don't know that it's a good thing for her. I think I do. I think she's got so many things going on. I just wonder. Can I ever get to a point. Where I feel like. There's enough affection. And. That I have enough of her love. Or am I always going to feel like. In want. And I'm going to be focused on that. Because I'm starving for it. There is that part of me that's wired as a lover that, is, that really wants to give and receive affection. And I don't know if that means there's something wrong with me or if that means there's something really right with me and I'm just out of balance with somebody who's not quite at that same you know, energy level for that. I just don't know. But I am sad, I'm broken hearted, and um, I just have been praying that the Lord would guide me and direct me on this. Because I cannot fix this. I do not know what to do. Hi, this is Michael Criswell 2019 model. Reflecting back with such humiliation on Michael 2012 model. You can see why I know one of the blessed reasons that the Lord wants me to share these recordings. Is to help people see what I've been confessing all along. About how much weakness... I have had in my life that I've had to work through. What you're hearing is weakness. You're hearing a guy who is on fire for the Lord, whose eyes are being opened up to the difference between a spiritual walk with God and the material world of men, and how I'm beginning to despise all that represents the world and clinging and hoping and striving for things in Christ, and yet... I'm in this relationship trying to have all of my needs met. I love Jill. I care for her. I found her very interesting. I found her farther ahead of me in many ways. And I'm struggling to make meaning out of why this relationship isn't working. I haven't been able to include it yet in some of the recordings, but down the road, there'll be some recordings where I share the insight and revelation that father gives me on this appearance of 1111 happening all throughout this relationship where I end up realizing God is trying to show me I'm compromising with Jill in many ways, not just in who she is as a person, but also my own faith and my walk with God is being compromised. I was struggling to stay away from premarital sex And this is something that's so important. I want people to know and hear these things. See, I am not running a church. I'm not a pastor behind a pulpit who has to pretend like I'm so much better than you are so that you can follow my teachings and show up and put your money in my hopper every week. And I'm not saying that all men behind a pulpit do that, but a lot of them do. Their testimonies have been whitewashed and Father has put me in a position where I'm independent of any religious organization of any denomination of any ministry it's just a man taking a call of mark five nineteen to go into the world and tell all that the lord has done for me and how he's had mercy on me this is again shows how much mercy that who can imagine hearing a guy testify openly that he's struggling with premarital sex as a man who's on fire for the lord but who's struggling with this to stay away from premarital sex And who could ever expect that God could then turn around and build the kind of fruitful ministry on this life that He was going to? This is the mercy of God. I hated my sin. You should know that, that I struggled with it. I cried over it. I fought over it. I had anxiety attacks over it. I read Bible verses about it. I talked about it. I prayed about it. I did everything I could until God finally gave me victory. Many of you have already heard this story in other recordings. But... One of the things that I want to point out with is that I had been so starved for that kind of affection in my first marriage where I was married to a cat and I was a dog. And I had never really had the kind of affection that I needed and wanted for almost all of my life. My mom was not affectionate, available with me. Um, My dad was not an affectionate person. I don't ever remember kisses, uh, you know, or I love you very much at all when I was a little kid. Um, I had family members that were in my life that gave me love but they were only in my life for a very temporary time so there was a huge hole that I was trying to fill and when Jill came along and we had such physical chemistry and there was a woman who desired me that way it was like imagine walking for a month in the desert and coming across a stream there's nothing you're going to do to stop yourself from drinking of that and God was pleased to let me fall into sin it had a great great work of humbling me and helping me not to look down on other people. And there was going to be an even greater failure that was going to come after this, which I'll include in these recordings as well, where I had lived my whole life as somebody who didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't steal, didn't go to parties, didn't get in trouble. The only thing I had ever done was have premarital sex while I was in high school with girlfriends. I hid it from everybody. I wasn't the guy sitting on the bus talking about it with... You know, all the kids, the big shots, oh, who you had da-da-da-da-da with and so forth and so on. No, I was doing it secretly, not telling anybody because I was so driven for love. We always talk about the girl who's not loved by her daddy throws herself at as many men as she can trying to fill that hole. You know what? It happens to some young men. I was wired this way. I wasn't wired to be the guy who's out running around with a basketball in his hand or um, a shotgun in his under his arm you know out running and hunting and gunning and flying and fishing and doing all that that's not the way father wired me I was wired much more for relationship interpersonal relationships affection and so when those needs were not met through my family it left me with this huge gaping hole to figure out how to meet this on my own and these were some of my attempts at doing it and at this point in time father has not been pleased at this time of the recordings in 2012. He hadn't been pleased to give me all the light. I don't fully understand all of what's going on or how God sees this. But as time goes on, I'll get more and more light and I'll recognize that I'm compromising, that I'm yoking myself to a person who has a very different spiritual intensity than I do. Jill came from religion background. She does not have that same intensity. And so I was we were trying to basically cross-pollinate our relationship but we're two different flowers it, it wasn't working and I was trying so hard and I'm also struggling like why am I having so much of a problem with this I must be so selfish yes some of it is without a doubt I was selfish and God was going to use that as a Romans 8:28 purpose but it had a lot more to do with the fact that I was unequally yoking myself to somebody who was calling themselves a Christian which I wouldn't have really understood a lot about this yet but who was calling themselves a Christ follower, but who did not have the same level of spiritual intensity that I did. That's very important. You can be unequally yoked even with somebody who calls themselves a Christian. And this is what was happening to me. And it was very, very painful and frustrating and difficult. But I hope that this has encouraged you to hear these kind of things that you don't look down upon me, but that you look up to God and you recognize His mercy. You know, for example, if you looked at the disciples when Jesus Christ is ascending up to heaven and you think, wow, what mighty men of God. They went out and they slayed devils and they raised the dead. Peter even took a few steps and walked on water. Wow, what amazing men. Rewind the clock to when Jesus finds them. Who would they have been then? Even still, even after Christ has left, They still make mistakes. They're still carnal. They're still worldly. They still lack understanding. They're they're still hardened in many ways until the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And so it was with me in this situation where I'm still walking with God. I'm still learning. And I'm still so ignorant about so many things to think that I could have even... the the number the few number of times that we engaged in premarital sex because we fought against it we fought against it so this didn't happen you know dozens of times and even still me feeling and claiming to be the man of God I was I was still so deceived in this way and I did not include in this record in these recordings how much of an effort I made to justify this I've done a whole recording on this about biblical justification for premarital sex with a question mark and I tell that story if you'd like to look that up on YouTube as well so I hope this continues to be a blessing and encouragement to you that because I hated my sin and I never stopped fighting against it God was able to still build an incredibly fruitful ministry on my life and God was going to continue to deal with me strictly and continue to bless me and teach me and raise me up to be a source of Of life in Christ to other people, to point other people to hope. And I just pray that those of you who hear this and you've struggled with sins and you have needs that are unmet and you've, you know, fallen and listen, don't judge yourself by my number of times of sin. Don't don't listen to the fact that I just told you that it didn't happen very many times ago. Oh, Michael, you don't understand. For me, it's happened hundreds of times. No, start hating your sin now. Do not play with this. Listen, I knew that I could cross a line that I could never come back from, and people do it. Let me tell you something. I have a very unique position, I think, in all the world. I think I have this one thing that is unique In all the world, I think you'd be so hard-pressed to find a person who has this experience. I'm telling you, in all the world, in seven years, I calculate I have received tens of thousands of messages from people. Oh, if you send a letter to Charles Stanley, don't be fooled and think for a minute he's got time to read it. There'll be many people who, or if you've seen like the Benny Hinn show, God forbid, but if you've seen him on TBN where he's got the big gigantic stack, pile full of letters. You think they open up those letters and read them and hear those stories? No, they don't. They lay their hands on them and pray for them. It's not worth anything, but listen to this. I have received and read personally tens of thousands of stories from around the world from Christianity. I have an insight on how people feel about their walk with God on what people's frustrations are that I think very few even ministers in the world have. How many people will go up to their minister and dump out their heart and tell all the truth to that minister? Honestly, just ask yourself that question. How many ministers behind a pulpit do you really think know their flock? Think about it. But because I have been so transparent, and there are very few people in the world that have been this transparent. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just telling you this is what I know is a fact. That's why people that have ears to hear are listening to this ministry because it's authentic. It's real. I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I'm not trying to make myself to be holier than I am. I'm telling you warts and all what it looks like. Oh, I'm reprimanding you. Oh, I'm encouraging you. Oh, I'm rebuking you. But now you see, I've done it to myself first. I fought my own sin first. But how many men truly know their flock? My friends, I tell you, I've heard from tens of thousands of you. And not just, hey, Mike, great videos. Keep up the great work. I sent a, I forwarded an email to a sister friend of mine in California this morning because it was so similar to a subject we just talked about and I told her I said sister I want you to try to imagine having this life I've heard thousands of these stories and she was just blown away one email that's all I do is just send her one email and immediately she thought my goodness gracious Michael what do you say to something like that see people don't know behind the scenes the things I've heard the stories I've been told. And I want you to know God is merciful, but we cannot take advantage of him. And I'm telling you, I have heard from many people that have lost their salvation. I've heard from many people who know when they read Hebrews 6 and 10, that's it, they're done. You know something? It may very well be the case for my wife. She may have crossed a line she can never come back from. Only God knows. But there's plenty of scriptural evidence that says that you can cross a line and you can never come back from it. Listen, God is merciful. I've heard many stories of people dabbling in the occult after they became aware of Christ and they got, they got led astray or they got into Eastern mysticism. But there's a lot of stories where people can't come back. I just recently received an email from a lady who's crying out to me that she became an atheist for many, many years and she cannot get the indoctrination out of her mind of all the atheist videos that she watched. She watched so many atheist videos that she now believes the Bible is false. And she cannot bring herself again to believe. What is that but a person who's unable to repent? You have to take this stuff seriously. I'm not going to try to make it sound easier than it is. I'm not going to tell you that, yes, you can just go and throw yourself in the filth of sin and you can go swallow it all up and eat it all down. And then you can turn around and come back to God. No, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you that because here's the thing. You don't know where the line is. That's what this is the most important point I want to make. You do not know where the line is that you will cross that you can never come back from that Jesus Christ looks at you and says you have trampled the blood of the covenant that sanctified you. You don't know where that line is. I don't know where that line is. When you guys contact me and you say Michael I don't know maybe I'm a reprobate of mine. maybe I blasphemed the Holy Spirit I think I've committed the unforgivable sin I don't know if God forgiven me can forgive me. Many times it's people that have never known the Lord. They've only known about Him. They've known about church. They said a prayer and they thought they were in. They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have discipleship. And like me, they went and lived in the world for a time. And then when they fall flat on their face and sin, they begin to become convicted of it and they start to have the fear of God wash over them and they say, my goodness, maybe I'm a reprobate mind. Maybe I can't come back from this. That's a devil's trick. But there are those who have known the Lord There are those who have known the truth and known the scripture and walked away from it and went back like a dog returning to its vomit. See, the thing is, I don't know who that is. And neither do you. God does. You can't come to me and ask me, have I lost my salvation? I can probably tell you by looking at the fruit in your life if I know you, if you're saved or not. And I can point you to some Bible verses that you can use to take your spiritual temperature. But I don't know the condition of your heart. I don't know how much ignorance you were in when you did what you did. I don't know if you were truly born again when you were wallowing in all that filth. I don't know if you've ever actually tasted of the goodness of God and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I don't know these things. God does. It's why you would want to go to God and beg for his mercy. But I tell you, you need to take these things seriously because I am so quickened as a man who's working out his salvation with fear and trembling. When I listen to these recordings and I realize how close I got. To be in a man who God could not use, in a man who God would have cast aside. Also, that I could have a little sex. Also, I could have a little feel good. A little sense of being loved by another human made of dust. It's a real need. I'm not discounting it. It's a real desire. I'm not saying that God won't meet it. But to throw away the heavenly for the earthly and the temporal. And f- to know that I was compromising with a woman who didn't love Jesus Christ like she thought she did. She loved the idea of his free salvation if it didn't cost her much. But to have to set down all the the hoopla and all the turn the ESPN off 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and to stop having your life be about everything in the here and now, she wasn't willing to trade those things. And see, God was going to call me to a higher level of him alone, which is why he was going to take me through these testings and why he was allowing me to suffer and why he's allowing me to learn these lessons. I could say so much more, but I don't want this recording to be too long. I pray that you'll continue to listen to this and you'll continue to be encouraged. God was merciful to Michael. He could have easily thrown me away and said, that's it, kid, you're done. But he kept going. He kept believing me. He kept waiting for me. And he saw that I hated my sin and I wanted out. And I kept fighting and God eventually freed me. May God continue to bless you as you listen.